0: Welcome to the Created for Experience podcast. This your host, Billy B. Hope you're doing well. Hey, this podcast is designed to help you explore elements of story and how they shape your future. This is episode 21, and you are here, and I'm grateful. Sean Askinosi is the gentleman I have on the show today, and he has a book called Meaningful Work, A Quest to do great business, find your calling, and feed your soul. And this guy, man, we had a fantastic time on the call together, like... Incredible. I didn't get a chance to sit with him face-to-face, but we did it uh, technology-wise over a phone call. and It was just so much fun. He started um, a chocolate bar factorily. Factorily? You got that? Even when I mess it up, I keep going. He started a chocolate bar factory, previously a criminal defense lawyer. He's in Springfield, Missouri, named by Forbes as one of the 25 best small companies in America. His daughter works with him which I think is a super cool part of his story. He was named Oprah Magazines, one of 15 guys who are saving the world. He spends a lot of time overseas helping people that are cocoa bean farmers find purpose and meaning in work. And he's an unbelievable business leader as well. So you're going to enjoy this interview. But what I love about his posture is his idea of going to people's grief, going to their sorrow, not afraid to go uh, into things versus around things. So he started this really cool grief center in Missouri and just has an incredible heart and completely wise um, from a business standpoint as well. So I hope you enjoy this interview. But I would love if you like this podcast, if it remotely encourages you whatsoever, if you'll do two things for me. If you will go to Apple and hit that five-star and say, I like this, and write a review, if you'll do that, that's one thing. The second, if you'll sign up for the Keep It Fresh Chronicle, which is keepitfresh.vip, it's our weekly newsletter we put out, three things that every leader needs to know. It's three tips that I give you each week, fresh leaders, ideas that I'm working on. I would love for you to be subscribed there. So go to keepitfresh.vip, and also make sure that you uh, share the podcast, hit that five-star, and I'll let folks know about it through your comments. That would be Amazing sean Askenosi, listen you're gonna love this you better turn up he's got like a mile a, a little bit more of a mild personality than me as you're gonna be able to tell but this guy has some straight fire that he drops so enjoy this interview with sean Askenosi. all right welcome to the podcast i got sean in the building sean how you feeling
1: i'm good i'm good thanks for having me billy
0: Absolutely. Well, we're humbled that you're here on the Creative for Experience podcast. I'm I'm looking at your bio right now, and those of you that don't know Sean, I'm blown away one as we've got a chance to meet and hang a little bit and, and talk about your story, but to see that your name, Oprah Magazine's one of 15 guys who's are saving the world, doing great business. And so um, I'm just impressed of seeing all the many wonderful things you've done from your quiet moments where, You're a part of helping people at a grief center all the way up to building a business and making an impact. So I know our listeners have so much to gain from your story, uh, and that's a little snapshot. But those that don't know who you are, tell the folks a little bit about your story.
1: Sure. Well, um, I was a criminal defense lawyer for 20 years, and I loved it. And I specialized in the defense of murder cases and really serious felonies. And I believe that it was my calling and vocation for almost 20 years. And, uh, just, you know, it was one of those kind of things where it didn't feel like work to me, except for maybe just in a few instances, you know, like where the jury's coming back into the courtroom and they're getting ready to read a verdict. Right. That, that, that was a little stressful. Um, or when somebody threatened to kill me or members of my family, that was stressful. Oh gosh. And, um, but you know, I just reached a point where I said, Hey, I got to do something else. And, uh, then I, Continued my law practice, but also at the same time went on a five-year path, not knowing it was going to be five years, um, to find my next thing. And uh, the next thing happened to be chocolate. And so I started uh, one of the first bean-to-bar chocolate factories in the United States about 14 years ago. And I do that full-time and travel and meet with cocoa farmers all over the world, buying cocoa beans directly from them and putting money in their bank accounts and profit sharing with them and turning our financial statements into their language like Swahili three weeks ago so the farmers could understand how we calculate profit share. And and then I take high school kids locally to Tanzania every other year to meet cocoa farmers. And we're a very small business, a family-run business with 17 full-time employees. That's it.
0: So I'm going to go back I'm gonna to go to the chocolate in a minute because I don't know if you could meet somebody who loves chocolate more than me. Uh, so I do, I do oh, want to talk man. about that. But I want to go, I want to go early. So tell me about the early Sean, like childhood. Where'd you grow up, and were there elements of your story where it was entrepreneur discovering something new? Because I know when you and I talked, it was how you got to chocolate is a is, is a lot of curiosity and a lot of just exploring. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you grew up and how you got to be such an explorer of new things.
1: The, um, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, so Southwest Missouri. And, um, so it was in the seventies pretty much. And it was, it was a, a great childhood. And I think, you know, I went to camp when I was 11 and I went to a camp in Minnesota and it was for a month. And, um, I realized I've never even really talked about this before, but I think at that camp is when I first realized my competitive spirit. And it was one of these kind of camps where you could do everything, sailing, riflery, archery, hiking, canoeing, horseback, yeah. and um, I just I I I wanted to do and experience as much of that as I possibly could. And if you did all those things and earned all this stuff, you could get an award at the end and you know, I think I was 11 and I just knew I have to do this. I have to win this award, and and uh, you know I wanted to experience all of it, and and so I think that was one of the first times. The other thing is my dad was a lawyer, also, but he was a very socially responsible person in the '60s and '70s, and really fought hard for social justice. So I got to see that front row seat um, for that, and then um, he was also a businessman, and I was able to kind of see that growing up. And I think those things really influenced me.
0: I love it. So you have the, you have the competitive nature growing up, but then you have a father who's, you know, business leader, lawyer, doing great things, but also had this heartbeat, as you said, for social justice and had that side of it. And it's cool to see your story and I've got your book sitting in front of me. So those of you um, that don't know, you need to check out the book, meaningful work, a quest to do great business, find your calling and feed. Your soul, and one of the most impressive things about you, reading about your story and getting a chance to to hang and hear a little bit more about you, is just your your heart to go after folks that are going through grief. Tell me a little bit about grief. I want to I want you just to maybe encourage some of the listeners out there, whether they're going through grief or they have someone that um, is going through it around them. Tell me about why you're so passionate about helping folks in that season of life.
1: Grief and sorrow are the other side of love. And I believe, and uh, Stephen Jenkinson, writer, talks about this, but grief is a language. And it's a language that none of us want to become fluent in, but many of us do um, throughout our lives. And we sort of recognize each other when when we see someone else that we're talking with. And pretty quickly, we can assess or determine this person speaks the language of grief like I do. And it's uh, the language of heartbreak, and um, I believe that a broken heart is one of the um, one of the birthplaces of creativity, um, awakening. And compassion and kindness, and so it happened to me. My dad died when I was fourteen. Uh, the, my my dad was my hero, a f- former Marine, physically fit guy, former Golden Gloves boxer. And to watch him deteriorate, you know, in front of me for two years uh, was I was the oldest and uh, helped take care of him. We didn't have hospice, so I was giving him Demerol shots when I was thirteen, and um, it it. it um, that exp- I was with him when he died, <clears throat> and uh, that experience um, impacted my whole life, my entire life, up to this very second. And so um, working with people who are grieving, to kind of come back around to your question, um, I, I think of myself as kind of a wounded healer. and I know that a lot of your listeners are that as well, even if they don't know it. Um, but so I... About, well, 20 years ago, this coming January, I, I co founded a grief center for children and families in Southwest Missouri that's been going on now all these years. And I'm still very involved. I'm a facilitator in the teen group. We have, you know, like 15 or 16 teenagers whose parents have died or siblings have died. And I work with them every other week in the evenings and have done that for a long time. And then, and we can talk in more detail about it. But the thing that really pushed me on my path of finding my passion, oddly enough, wasn't a book or a mentor, or, but it was um, serving during those five years of my search, I was serving as a volunteer in the palliative care department of a local hospital. Palliative care is hospice in the hospital, essentially people who are dying. Maybe they're in oncology, cardiology, neurology. And I would visit them on Fridays and just talk just about whatever they wanted to talk about. They'd ask for a visitor. And then at the end of the visit, I'd ask them if they would like for me to pray for them. I never, you know, pushed anything like that on people. But I found most people who are dying will take a prayer uh, yeah. if offered, and that's that's really where um, I think in those moments um, of prayer for people and asking them what they wanted me to pray for were the moments of true. Awakening for me. And if I can say uh, this that I'm about to say, and I think that I, th- this is where I think your listeners will um, connect with what I'm about to say. And it is as follows When I finished that work at the hospital, like on a Friday, I might be there for two hours or six hours. And when I was walking out the front doors to my car, some Fridays, not every Friday, I'd be walking, and it was as if my feet weren't touching the ground, like I was walking on air or something. It really did feel quite strange. And usually that feeling would subside, you know, a mile down the road in the car or something. But um, I really started trying to figure out what that was. I mean, I was just with somebody who was dying. In some sacred, privileged moments, I was actually with people when they died. And people might think, gosh, that's morbid, you know. But it was the place of sorrow for me. It was the place I was able to return to the place where my sorrow was born and serve someone and not think about me because I think about me a lot. And so that's what that was the fuel that literally lifted me off the ground. And I was like, (laughs) like hovering back to my car. That's joy. So that's that is the that's it for me. That's the place for me.
0: Yeah. And going to the place where your sorrow was born. I love the way you put that and, uh, you know, reading through your book and and getting a chance to check it out myself. I, I love use the words dignity a lot within your book. You talk a lot about, um, calling meaning a lot of these words that, uh, most of us don't ascribe to work or ascribe to even if we volunteer somewhere, but finding, finding that value in helping someone find, find dignity in their sorrow, helping, someone understand that you can normalize for them when a parent dies or someone passes away and going to that point of sorrow with them. I was talking to a gentleman earlier today and we were just um, riffing a little bit on this new business he's creating and it was all positive. It was all new. It was all fresh stuff. And then he started talking about his weakness a little bit, but when he went to his weakness, that's when he got really strong. He started just saying, I want to do this, this, and this. I said, you know that legacy is more born out of weakness than strength. Legacy is more born of us admitting where we don't have it all together and where we could actually call upon someone's help or go so help someone there. And so I love that you're doing that. Um, on page 38 of your book, as I was reading through it, you, you share this story. And I, I've loved this story for so long. It's the 1962 when JFK was going to the NASA headquarters for the first time. And when he was walking through the headquarters and the whole idea of this, am I a stonemason who's uh, just sort of putting another brick down or am I a stonemason who's actually building a cathedral? And when... You have this perspective that this um, facilities worker there, this janitor who was mopping the floor when JFK asked him, hey, what do you do here at NASA? And the janitor replied, I'm helping put a man on the moon. He's a cathedral builder. And mm-hmm. viewing our work that way, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a farmer in Tanzania who's got cocoa beans, uh, someone who's a big CEO of a business, it feels like when someone would sit with you or read your book that... Um, you respect the process of where people are in their journey and don't overthink it. And then if we can help them get to the cathedral builder concept, that's going to help them win everything. Right. So tell me, tell me some stories of maybe some cathedral builders you've seen in your work. I'm sure you've met some farmers that have had the big picture. Um, Tell me what that, that story and why you chose to put that in the book and how you've seen that play out in your life.
1: There, the, for me, I want to help send a man, man to the moon or woman to the moon. But I also want those people who want that to work with me. So it's both. I want to be that person. And I want the people around me to have a chance to be that person. And what this means really, is that we're, you and me, we're working together towards something that's bigger than ourselves and people might be saying, "Well, yeah, but I, you know, have an auto parts store. What what am I going to Oh man, that's this is this is this is it. Of course your auto parts store can send a man to the moon and be and, and you can be with cathedral builders. Absolutely. I mean, we could we could talk for the next hour about why the person who runs the tire shop or auto parts store or hardware store or paint store or sells insurance. It's all, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. Why? Because we're, we are, we are establishing a place of human connection and that human connection is going to be, I don't care how small your business is or how big it is, but it's going to be bigger than the sum of its parts. That's what we want. That's what we want out of life. And if we're going to spend 80,000 hours at work on average, if we're lucky, well, it might as well be something bigger than ourselves. And so the other thing I would say is this, this notion of cathedral builder um, is that it's not the title of our job that gives us that dignity. It's the attitude that we, me, that I bring to it. If I'm a, a dishwasher or a server in a restaurant or whatever it's you we've met them we've all met them you probably have met somebody in the last 10 days if you were traveling who were I don't maybe it was in an Uber or whatever you thought man that person was so kind what what an attitude that person has brought to their job today and that's what it is it's not the title now let's just go ahead and drop a big old footnote right here and say and agree This is easy for you and me to say, or at least for me, as the CEO, founder of a company. You know, I have the title. I have the, you know, thing. I saved my money and put it into a business. And so I recognize that I'm maybe not in the best position. All I'm asking is that people give this concept consideration. I'm just asking to think about it because this is what makes... This is this is what makes us feel alive and it and in a macro sense it's what drives our economy. And so we have to pay attention to this.
0: It's interesting when you get really, really close to death, how much you appreciate life. And I tell a lot of folks that I talk to is one of the best things you can do is go volunteer to nursing home and just go see those threads of regret where you approach whether you are a server at a restaurant, or whether you sold insurance, as you mentioned, you get to see that as a bigger calling, a bigger opportunity. And So I love love that concept. I challenge every listener to pick up the book, Meaningful Work. Uh, make sure you go go check that out. And pronounce your last name, Askanosi. Askanosi, it's yep. an amazing last name. I want to make sure I didn't butcher it. So Sean Askanosi, Meaningful Work. Look it up. Now I want to dive into a question about this podcast. The title is created for experience, and I want to hear about your favorite experience of all time. You could go work. You could go personal, you could go concert, you could go movie, wherever you want to go, but take us to where Sean's favorite experience goes.
1: Well, um, I love this because, um, for me, it would have been my last experience that, that I, because I have a lot of these experiences. So three weeks ago, I was in Tanzania um, visiting. It was my 44th origin trip to meet with farmers around the world. And I've been to this place in Tanzania for almost a decade, meeting with farmers. And I it's, it takes me 60 hours to get there. And I walk into the little office, and I'm putting air quotes around this, in the jungle where the farmers have their little cooperative office. And in that office, there were teachers meeting in that office of maybe five or six teachers that had just recently been hired to work at a preschool in the village that we are building and funding for 300 children. And I didn't know they were going to be there. I didn't know the teachers were going to be there. This, in 2017, this discussion of having a preschool in the village was just an idea on a chalkboard in a little room. And then here the teachers are, the buildings are built. And it just, it, uh, in that moment when I saw the teachers, I just walked in and it was, um, the molecules in my body stopped moving for a minute and I knew, okay, this is it. This is, this, this is happening right now. This, I, I can, and I know these moments enough now I know to recognize them and know that I'm about to have a glimpse of the divine and that's what happened. And it was just, it was just like that just quick. And the veil was lifted on earth just for a second. And I was like, wow, there are these teachers. I couldn't even talk. I mean, I was soup. I was overcome with emotion just by seeing these people. And I mean, I have, you know, 20 of those experiences, but, but, but let me just say, here's the deal. When we talk about these experiences, We could also call them peak experiences. But I believe the key to these isn't the experience itself. It's the integration of the experience into our daily life. When I walk out of that little building, when I come home to Springfield, Missouri, how do I integrate that moment into my life? How do I layer it in to my humanity? That's the key.
0: And I talk a lot about... um... People grow into the conversations you create around them. It's taking these experiences, and how do you inspire them and reverse engineer back to that piece of chalk? You mm-hmm. know, I see you. I see you just with a piece of chalk, and how, how do I get back there to see what it could be with the teachers and the interaction, the moment, and the emotion? But like you said, how do I integrate it back to say, "Oh, it's all started with a piece of chalk. Mm-hmm. It all started with me believing enough and having the right uh, personnel and people to actually make that make that part happen." I love that, man. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, what when you? When you realize you first loved chocolate, take me to that story. It, you know, obviously you were uh, successful things throughout. You mentioned lawyer, you mentioned death threats, a lot of <laughs> crazy things there, and then you switched to chocolate. That seems really random, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure you get that a lot. But tell me how you got to chocolate.
1: Um, when I was trying cases, and I didn't have any hobbies, so when this first, when this notion first came to me that I needed to leave the law, I. I, I, needed to have a hobby. So I was thinking, okay, well, what am I liking right now that maybe could be a hobby? And I was really enjoying yoga at the time. And I was, um, having to learn, um, how to use a handgun because of the death threats. And so I started, um, having, um, handguns as a hobby. And I thought, okay, well, you know, it was a hobby, but it was also a necessary hobby because of the threats. Yo-
0: yoga, um, yoga and, and then And the third
1: thing I started doing was um, I bought a big green egg. And before the big green egg, I had never even really successfully completed a Pop-Tart. So, um, <laughs> but I thought, oh, this is cool. And um, so then I bought a, another big green egg. And I started really going crazy on the big green eggs. And uh, this is really when they were first kind of coming out. And, uh, That led me to baking and baking led me to chocolate desserts. And then from chocolate desserts, all the while, remember, I'm, this is the time when I'm working in the hospital on Fridays, visiting with people. And one day I was driving to a funeral of a distant relative. I was by myself, just driving out to this farmland near here. And I thought, I think I'll just make chocolate from scratch. That would be cool.
0: So what in that moment? So what, what? What caused you to get there? Yeah. Okay. This is a
1: great question. I love this question. Um, On my way out of town, I saw this bumper sticker that said Santa Fe um, car rentals or something like that. And then when I turned off to go to the cemetery, there was a a big uh, billboard that said Santa Fe cattle company. And at the time, I had been looking at a business, a bakery business in Santa Fe to buy it and move there, my wife and I and when i saw those two literal signs i had this feeling in my gut to not do it to not buy the business i don't know why you'd think well wow you saw a sign wasn't that affirming no i just had the feeling to not do it and then on the way back i it, it was just this kind of a light bulb moment of well what about just making chocolate from scratch i didn't even know what it, i'd worked with it i didn't know where it came from i thought it was like a Chemical substance that was like melted down, and I—I I, I had no idea. But, but I thought, well, you know, I mean, I didn't love—I liked chocolate. I—I I liked sugar stuff, you know. So, I mean, it was in the category of food that I would consume: donuts, pies, cake, chocolate. Um, and
0: that's all the food. That's like all the
1: food. Yeah, culture, right, 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 exactly. So, and then within three months of that little idea, though, I was in the Amazon. And learning how farmers do it and make it happen so that i love it that's it
0: was it's that and and i love you mentioned the bumper sticker and the sign and that wasn't that you were supposed to it's that you weren't supposed to and i think given the listeners permission that not always is there something that pops up means you have to do it 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 causes you to have that uh, have that feeling i talk a lot about you've got to be able to trust your gut and trust the data there's this balance you got to know when intuition needs to kick in Mm -hmm. and when data needs to kick in and usually the the leaders that I talk to, they have. There's a combination of both. It's where should I go based on the data, but I'm really feeling like this, and not second guessing yourself on either either one of those. Yeah, so and, and if I could, if, yeah.
1: if I could just add one other important thing that I think is to sort of conclude this part for your listeners, and yeah. that is, in order for me to be driving in the car and have that thought of, oh, this is this means I shouldn't do this and then have the thought oh what about this what about doing this in order to have those simple thoughts i needed to be in a place where i could hear them in my own voice in my head i and before that took me 5 years and so what i'm suggesting is is that we need to we need to especially in this day and age we are so distracted the signal-to-noise ratio is impossible. And so we have, to, we have to literally have a discipline and a workout practice that is going to improve our um, acuity and, and reception for these kind of things to even be viewed in the dashboard of our life as an opportunity. Otherwise, we'll never see it. And I wish that it wouldn't have taken me five years, but because I was so research-oriented and so lawyerly in the way I approached what the heck am I going to do for the rest of my life, I, I wasn't seeing it. I was too desperate searching for it that I, I, I didn't look outside myself or think outside myself about where the answers might be.
0: It's funny that you mention um, solitude, silence, stepping away. I know the most creativity the most creative moments and the most creativity I've had has been when I step aside and sort of get outside myself and, and, and chase those, um, those ideas, chase those things in my mind and get silent enough to figure out, was this a sign for, was it not for, and, and be honest. I mean, being a person of faith, you know, sometimes God's real silent for a while and sometimes like he, he doesn't answer your prayer. We get pissed. I'm like, I, I'd rather, him just be really silent and let me sit in the season I need to be in to learn it. So if that's encouraging for someone listening in too, is uh, the answer is always not going to come in a big flashing bell sign. It might look really, really quiet. We've got to be satisfied with both, both of those. It's good, Absolutely, man. it's really good. So, uh, Askanosi chocolate, I got some in the mail and it was crazy good. Oh, thank Listen. You listeners you need to go where can they get it can they buy it online somewhere yes. folks want to get thank that? you
1: for asking dot com ecom we ship it all over the country and or there's a zip code locator on our website and we sell to specialty food stores around the country and people can see if some of the products are in a store near you we're like I said we're a small operation my daughter and I and 15 other employees.
0: I feel like we need to have another podcast just to talk about what that's like to have your daughter working with you. I have two daughters myself, and I hope one day to have a chance to work with them. And uh, I think that's just incredible. It says a lot about your character as a leader that that you're, you know, that you're, know, she would work with you. So super cool. Uh, one question before we jump into this experience factory to learn a little bit more about how your brain works when you hear different sounds. This question is always one of my favorites that I ask uh, guests that I have. And when we get comments back or conversations we create, it's it's not about uh, building a great chocolate company or or becoming an entrepreneur, it's really this, it's really this question. It's when you have a moment where you could have let failure or weakness cause you to shrink back, you pushed forward anyway. And so I can see that trail in your story of just having a push forward anyway. Give the listeners a sense of maybe it's a, a moment or a season where you could have let failure or weakness cause you to take a step back, but instead you push through. Help me know that a little bit more about Sean, peel the layers back a little bit about how maybe you get through that in a specific instance where you made that happen. Okay.
1: Um, I'm going to, there's two of them. Uh, one is um, as you might imagine <laughs> in a murder trial um, and it was a very high profile murder trial and, and um, the judge in the case told me during the trial, if I did this one thing again, he was going to hold me in contempt and put me in jail. And I had to decide whether I was going to listen to him. And I did it again because I believed it was important enough for the jury to understand what I was trying to do. And it meant uh, this person's life that I was representing. And so I did it. And I didn't shrink back. I could have, and I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't overstepping any laws or rules, but, but his, you know, admonition, don't do this again, or I'm going to put you in jail. And I did it and, um, I would do it again. And it it was this moment of focus where I had to realize that this person Right now, in this chair next to me, is the only client that I have or ever will have. And it made that decision easy. And I made that a rule for my law practice, that I only had one client at a time. It wasn't true. Of course, I'd have 50 or 60. But when I was making decisions on their behalf, they were the only ones. Then, okay, fast forward you know, 20 years, and I would say that now when I'm faced with Um, a moment of difficulty. I would, what you said a moment ago, Billy, which is to sit with it and to not try to solve it so quickly, to not try to, to not try to push, push, push for an immediate answer. And, um, that most recently has had to do with, um, health problems related to stress, insomnia, Um, Those kind of things, especially early on in the chocolate business. And my spiritual director at the monastery where I go near here, it's a Trappist monastery, really encouraged me to develop this practice of, of walking in darkness and keeping my practice and my discipline of prayer despite the valley that I'm in And I'm not a Catholic, but in the Catholic world, it's called the Paschal Mystery. It's from death to resurrection and darkness to light, from the valley to the mountaintop. And so I have found those places of darkness to be very uncomfortable. And they don't get more comfortable (laughs) with this practice. But my ability to, as you said, to sit with it has improved. And that's the way I, I approach these problems now.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the journey through something, not around something, that gives us the best perspective, right? It's going, it's going directly into the heart of it, and really, it's a self examination. It's uh, I heard a speaker recently say, "Things don't happen to me; they happen for me." In this concept of I'm I'm allowing this thing to have its way, so I can learn the lesson from it and come out a stronger person at the end. And that's that's like you said; it's not always you know, roses and rainbows and chocolate cake, you know, no. to, to not to use chocolate's name in vain, but like, it's not <laughs> always a beautiful, pristine thing. And I love even as we started record the, record this podcast, I said, Hey, Sean, how you feeling? And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's full speed, man. Yeah. I'm feeling my chest is tight. Know, my chest is feeling, yeah, chest is tight. Like it's, so it's not easy, but for me, it's like, even today, if you have a chance to sit and pause and say, why is it tight? Mm-hmm. You know why? What it what is stressful about now versus just shoving it down and keep moving and I think that's a good lesson for listeners too is I'm you're learning that I'm learning that we all should be more thoughtful about the you know and tune into our feelings of like what is this what is this from is it lack of exercise is it hydration is it sleep or is it just I'm overwhelmed and stressed and I need to delegate so it's um it's not a fun journey but everybody has to take it
1: right and the, as you said these are the these are the places of lessons. These are the places of connection with other people. These are the places where we can learn dependence and not independence. And most of all, they're the places that teach us humility. And I I think that humility is a virtue in leadership and entrepreneurship that we don't talk about enough in this
0: world. Agreed. Agreed, my friend. Well, you got me fired up. We can make this a three-hour podcast Mm -hmm. because just like our first time talking, I love hearing your perspective and your honesty and hope the listeners are encouraged as much as I am. Well, uh, I want to transition to our Experience Factory. It's a place we take all of our guests. Imagine yourself descending upon a factory with a bunch of conveyor belts and things happening around you, and we're going to put out some sound effects in this factory, and you have to build something for Mm -hmm. us tell us where this takes you tell us uh it could be a quick one word answer it could be a longer answer but i'm going to play several different sound effects and are you sean ready i'm ready for the experience factory here we go or what was that i don't know
1: i couldn't hear it (laughs) let's
0: try it again did you get that one
1: um you know, I, I can't really tell what it is, but I think it was a box. It was a box, um, on the top shelf that, um, fell off and everything went onto the floor. Yep. And, um, that is, <laughs> that, that definitely, um, that's definitely, you know, happening in my factory and, and, uh, it gives <laughs> me kind of a, you know, a, a sort of, tightness and uh, a feeling of angst when I hear a sound like that and yep. think about all the, you know, mess that it's made literally and, uh, and, and, uh, figuratively.
0: Yep, for sure. And it is interesting how just a sound or even a song can take you somewhere like that. Like I've the breaking of glass does that for me. Like I just think about things breaking apart. So let me, let me try a little bit lighter one. You ready? Here we go. What's that sound?
1: I don't I don't know what that is, but it it reminded me of of a foreign sound to, that, that I might hear outside my window in Africa. Um, so I don't know if it's a bird or monkey um, but um, I, I love I'm normally very light sleeper and I've mentioned you know I kind of have some insomnia but when I travel to these places, where they're very, it's very remote and, uh, hot and humid and, and, uh, I, but I do, I do enjoy, um, these sounds through the night, um, and and knowing that they'll wake me up. And then that, that's kind of what that reminded me of. It puts me, you know, someplace like the Amazon and some sound that I don't know. And I think, wow, that's cool. I have no idea what, is that going to come kill me or what is that? Um, but but I, I like,
0: I love that. All right. Let's try, let's try this and let's see if this takes you to a similar place. This is one of my favorites.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, we, ha- we live on a little kind of farm um, and uh, it has a creek running through it. and My wife and I like to put the lawn chairs in the creek at night and um, drink a little craft beer and just... Sit back in the cool. It's a spring-fed creek, and that's what I. That that that's what that brings back to me is just that sound of um, my farm, and and uh, all is right with the world.
0: I like it. I got two more for <laughs> you. Ready? Let's see where this takes you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think? Uh it brings me back to um this place, this hotel in Cancun, um, before, you know, when it was all the dial-up <laughs> stuff. And I had this thing called a palm pilot. None of your listeners probably they're all too oh, young, yeah. Know what that is, oh, yeah. But anyway, but I could plug that thing into the hotel phone <laughs> and get my emails. You know, this is twenty-five years ago. And um but I remember that, I don't know, for whatever reason, that just took me back to the hotel, getting my email in Cancun. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, what the hell was it? Why was I getting my email on a vacation? It was a stupid <laughs> pilot. But anyway, that's what that brought back to me.
0: I love it. Yeah, the, I remember when the internet came out, it was my senior year of high school. And I remember hearing that dial-up uh-huh. internet for the first uh-huh. time and just thinking to myself, wow, the world just changed. I can communicate with folks all over yeah. the world. I'm going to do uh, one more one more for you yeah. right here. Let's see what you do with this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Where's it taking? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, um, of course, Christmas. And, and it, it reminds me of um, my daughter was – the one who's my co-author in the book, Lauren, and we've talked about she works with me. Um, I had this really big case, and I always would take her to meet Santa Claus at Silver Dollar City, which is about an hour from our house. And he was the Santa, not like, he was the guy. And um, so I told her, I said, well, honey, I'll take you after I file this brief. It was a hundred page brief in a murder case. And it took me forever to get it done, weeks and weeks and weeks. And I finally got it done. I drove her, just she and I, down to Silver Dollar City. I get there, and there's no cars in the parking lot, and the whole, the whole place is closed, and this is the daytime. I was freaking out, and I was I said, just wait in the car, and I went up to the executive offices of this theme park, and I'm banging on office doors saying, where's Santa Claus? You've got to help me. Where is Santa Claus? And, you know, and I they said, I'm sorry, but he, we're closed. The park is closed for the Christmas holidays. And I said, well, you've got to give me his name. So I literally, this is back in phone booth days. So I drive back to Springfield. I stop at a phone booth. I call the Santa Claus. Lauren's still in the car. And I said, Santa, I said, I told him my name. And he said, oh, I know who you are. You're the lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And I said, please, Santa, would you come to my house tonight? I will pay you any amount of money if you will please. (laughs) And darned if he wasn't such a nice, perfect Santa. And he came to my house and he rang those bells that I just heard right outside of our door and at least I didn't completely mess up her Santa Claus Christmas. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what that brings me back to, hearing that noise outside my I've front had, door.
0: I've had some moments where I uh, missed a daddy-daughter Uh-oh. date night um, at Chick-fil-A. And there was actually, I missed it by a day, but I didn't realize it. So we show <laughs> up, uh, my daughter's dressing her... Um, dressed and i'm dressed up we walk in and it was an intuitive nature of a person that was um there in the mm-hmm. restaurant and they realized that i had made a mistake and i kind of looked at it and they looked at me and they said right this way to your table uh, and they 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 were able to make that transition uh, so it's cool to see that we can we can be a blessing yeah. for others and even when we do screw up or <laughs> doesn't go the yes. right way so uh, so anyway I'm, I'm gonna let you out of the factory yeah. now but i want to give one more opportunity um for you to to drop some wisdom on us drop some uh some dimes, if you will, is what advice would you give to people that are chasing their dreams? Meaning somebody right now has something they're thinking about, they're dreaming about. What advice would you give to them as they're processing through that dream?
1: The question is presuming, because processing is active, it means they're not finished. They haven't found it it completely yet, or they're not there and they're struggling. So I want to talk to you, struggling person. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some counterintuitive advice. And it's that you put those things down, put your research down, move away from the Google search box, stop talking to your friends about this, and you find someone or a group of people who need you. And you roll up your sleeves and you serve them with with expecting nothing in return. That's my advice. Do that. You. Th- it's this paradox the, 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 the clarity and the messages that you need to hear will rise to the surface when you find someone who needs you.
0: The greatest among you will be a servant, yeah. man. That's so good. It, it, it just, it's so healthy for our hearts just to put our agenda aside or our striving or our dreams, if you will, and go serve. And then those things come to life that much more. Man, I'm so thankful, Sean, for you to join us on the podcast. Where should folks find you um, if they're searching for you online or how would you want to connect with sure.
1: them? sure? Um, a s k i n o s i e A S K I N O S I E.com is great. We're on Facebook and Instagram and I have a blog at Sean And I try to occasionally put some of the things that we've been talking about today on there and write um, little blog posts and stuff like that. But that's the best way um, just to look for us on, on our website or my blog. And like you said, st- said, the book is also a good place to start. My email is in the book. So I encourage people to have a dialogue with me. I want to hear from people and that's, it's hello at seanaskinose.com. People can email me there and let's talk about it.
0: I love it. Well, you've been a joy on the show and I appreciate you sharing your experience, the good parts, the tough parts, the real parts, and um, you're a blessing, my friend. Thanks for Thank you, Billy.
1: It's been great talking to you.
0: Sean Askinosie, Woo, what a last name, but even better than that, what an amazing leader. I had a great time talking to Sean, and what you didn't hear was right when we got off uh, our podcast interview, he was just talking about it. You heard in the interview a little bit there, his chest being tight, and I got to pray with him and just hearing his encouragement, and so I just challenge you to like ask somebody if you can encourage them. You know, if you're a person of faith, pray for them like, and do it on the spot and do it in a way where you can encourage them and speak life to them because life is really, really short. And we have uh, just one shot at this thing to go after it and encourage people that are, uh, that come along our path. So it was really fun to get to do that for him. I hope you'll pick up his book, Meaningful Work. I hope you'll go follow his blog and uh, go learn more about what Sean Askenosi is all about and that you would order some chocolate too because it was really good. Oh, trust me, my waistline says so. If you know what i say, I'm trying to get my workout on. I need to go lift. Anyway, hey, I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Episode 21, out.